As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Dramser, it just continues. Six in a row for the Vancouver Canucks since the arrival of Bruce Boudreaux. Eight of their last nine, if you go back a little bit farther. And here they are, sitting at 30 points. or just a game away from 500. Life is good. Life is fun. And we still have full arenas, my friend. For now, for now, at least till 1 p.m. Vancouver time on Friday, we have a full Canucks arena. We'll see if they play the game on Saturday against the Leafs in a full arena. I don't mean to be Debbie Downer. What am I doing? Why am I living up to my name so early in this podcast, Farhan? Uh, we will see. We will see. It's it's a weird moment around the NHLA. Eh? Like, the Canucks blue line depleted. Uh, five defensemen for the last two games. Both of them, you know, somewhat related to COVID. Although, luckily, no new Canucks players have been put in the protocol since Tucker Pullman left the game on Wednesday. And, yeah, I mean, the Canucks – or, sorry, th- Tuesday. It was Tuesday. My goodness. Thursday, though, the Canucks were full value, I thought, against the Sharks. Like, I thought they they didn't control play. There were points in the game where the Sharks had outshot them 2-1, to one, right? Yeah, but, second period, for sure. But I thought the balance of the really dangerous chances were Vancouver's. Like, I thought Vancouver generated more. Um, you know, to the point where, like, Jason Dickinson should have had a hat trick in the third period. Right? When he gets the empty <laughs> net goal, I was almost like, finally. Because he had, like, three glorious chances. Um, I love the breaking stick celebration afterwards because yeah. you can tell this the goal that Strode 24 games have been getting to him. So good. And, you know, uh, he's been good. I, I've liked I've liked him on the wing of whomever their matchup line is. I think that's worked. I think that's been fun. Um, you know, Tanner Pearson with a beauty pass to Brock Besser. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Let's do that now. <laughs> like uh, Brock Besser continuing to regress. Happy for him. I thought he was playing really well. The last three weeks or so under Travis Green, I think that's continued now under Bruce. And 
he's getting the bounces. Like he's getting the bounces that we're going to come to him no matter what. But it's a lot. Dude, of fun these to watch. aren't bounces. These are seeing eye goal score snipes. Yeah, no, I know. But he was having shots and opportunities. I felt maybe not in this type of volume, but he was having those too. They just were hitting posts or finding goalies somehow. Like he was just getting robbed. Yeah, I think there were a couple that you know he he would find the logo on a regular basis and and just kind of looked like a guy that um, that's had what it some always looks volume. like for these guys though. That's what it always looks yeah. like for these sh- for these goal scorers. Like when they're not scoring, that's what it always looks like. Anyway, he was going to start scoring if he kept playing that way. I, that that's more than anything my point. I'm not trying to denigrate what it looks like when Brock Besser beats a set NHL goaltender because it looks awesome <laughs> and he's one of like yeah, 25 guys who can do it. But uh, but. You know, the the fact is, is for me anyway, is like I, I knew that he was going to start scoring in and around American Thanksgiving. Um, I, I mean, I wrote the big piece on it. And I do think that overall, like this regression was inevitable to some extent. It's still a lot of fun to watch. No, there's no question about it. There's a lot of things going right. And, you know, you talked about the game last night and specifically even though there were times when this team was getting outshot, it looked like the Canucks were still the better team in terms of quality. And it was almost the reverse earlier, right? Like there were times when Vancouver seemed to be carrying plays in a lot of these moral victory games. But when you look at the really difficult chances, they simply weren't generating anything of quality, right? right. And and the other teams were. And, and now that has shifted where they can actually take their foot off the gas from a, from a possession standpoint for periods of a game but when they get their opportunity, like that goal to, to make it 3-1 came against the run of play, right? And it was, it was in terms of the previous 10 to 15 minutes, it was the best scoring chance, even though San Jose had a little more possession leading into that goal. Yeah, for sure. I thought the, uh, yeah, exactly. You know what? They no longer look like the Patsy in every game. You know, like they look like the initiating team. We're, we're, we're fooling you into th- letting you think you're actually in this game. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's been a little bit like there are times where I do think they've played with fire a bit early, like the Carolina game would be the example for me where they sort of held Carolina off, get that late goal in the first, and that set them up well, where, you know, maybe they were a little bit fortunate. Uh, the Columbus game, you know, they, they started a little bit slow too, obviously, (laughs) obviously in that one, they paid for it and then managed to you know, skewer the, the Blue Jackets in the third period with a, a miraculous comeback win. Um, hopefully not in the last time that we'll see the building with that type of energy now that the Canucks are high flying again. But, um, but you know, what's interesting Wait, about stop, the- stop. Let's just clip that. The Canucks are high flying again. Think about what you just said. No, I, I, that, but that's the biggest difference, right? They're generating scoring chances at a slightly above average rate and- when you do that and you have finishers in this lineup like Garland and Miller and Bo Horvat and Besser and Pedersen, like, you know, then then you're then you're now you're now you're cooking. Now now you have a chance to cook. Um now it's you the have again a chance. Part. It's the again part. It's the again part that got me. Oh, right. <laughs> well, you know, since the pe- it's been a long pandemic, Farhan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, true but uh but, <laughs> you might have to go back pre-pandemic but hey uh, no i mean cooking i think of cooking i think of 1920 right like i think of the bubble i think of yeah. the i think and and you know i think of how they were able to attack teams vertically even though they kind of struggled to break the puck out and how they didn't need to equal your amount of scoring chances 
to to win because they had the more efficient scores. And like that's the logic of this team. It's a logic that was undermined, I think, by a lack of depth and talent last season and then and then just by a decision to try and play a more conservative style that made no sense for them this year and their inability to generate anything or translate zone time into anything meaningful. And now they're generating chances again and the efficiency can matter. And and here's what I've liked about the last two games, the wins over Columbus and San Jose, not just that they're wins far on, but they've won them while their while their uh, PDO's gone down. Like the, they're no longer looking like this is still if you look at the overall flow of play, like it's you know 950 goaltending at 5 on 5 that, that probably is a little high. And but but the shooting percentage isn't high, isn't outrageous. It's not like they've been insanely lucky offensively. They've been good. They've been generating. And and you know, I sort of look at this underlying profile over this win streak and you know, a 102-ish PDO is not outrageous. That's not something that makes me think like this is not a team that's getting outchanced by a massive margin every game and it's all luck. Like this is somewhat sustainable with above average finishing. And above average goaltending, both of which the Canucks have. So, you know, I'm not looking at this win streak anymore and saying, hey, this is like ephemeral and good fortune. And I mean, it, it is to some extent, it's always good fortune when you win consecutive games in the NHL. But like there's all you always need some luck at your back to win anything in this league. Right. That's hockey. But that's not what's driving this. What's driving this is the Canucks are getting their chances. They're finishing They're They're finding ways to generate off the rush, even with this depleted defense core. I mean, look, let the good times roll. Let's see how far they can push this. Well, that's the point, though, right, is that when when you look at it statistically, it it all doesn't look like, you know, the moon and stars are lining up. However, on some levels, they are when you consider the roster flaws are still the roster flaws, right? I mean, you look at the ice time last night, and, and part of it is because Breezeball leaves the game. But you had three defensemen that were basically all 25 minutes and above, I think, um, I think uh, Tyler Myers was maybe six seconds shy of that, but Ekman Larson at 25.40, Quinn Hughes at 26.43. So they had to log heavy, heavy minutes. You know, I said earlier that it it doesn't frighten me much that Travis Hamannick's out of the lineup and Tucker Pullman's out of the lineup because they're pretty ordinary players anyway. It's the other three players that you worry about if they ever had to leave the lineup defensively. But, you know, what are we seeing from some of those flawed areas in terms of fourth line center and you know the, just not having the right shots and what we're seeing on the on the back end like what are we seeing from those areas we're coming into the year we looked and thought boy this is frightening that makes us think this is still sustainable now well i mean one thing i think is that the fact that you can plug and play guys like burrows and Juleson if your good players are playing really well right sort of speaks to me to why the hamonic pullman signings were so inadvisable Right. Like if you're not noticing a guy when they leave the lineup at all. Right. In fact, when you're like, hey, that Noah Juleson guy who was a who was a salary dump throw in from the Florida Panthers. Like, is he much is there much difference between him being in the lineup and and Pullman or, or Kyle Burroughs, who I think is on a two way deal this year and then a one way deal next year? Like, is he just every bit as good as Travis Hamannick? Um, You know, when you get to that point. Right. When you're like, oh, man, of those three defensive losses, Luke Shen's the one that they're probably missing the most. Right. I think that's um, that speaks volumes to me. That's sort of the lesson 
for me from that part of it anyway. Here's the thing is that obviously right now, um, you and I are taking a lot of arrows from the I hate Travis Green Club, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, right, the, you know what I mean? Because we both have felt that Travis Green is a good coach, that yeah. uh, he was in a bad situation with a flawed roster, that he will get a head coaching job at some point in the NHL very soon, within the next two years, because he's well-regarded in the industry. And really, there was one of two camps. I think we both thought that Jim Benning did a really poor job of managing this roster and certainly managing the cap. And now all of a sudden, Bruce Boudreau has won six straight games with the roster that Jim Benning assembled. So now, you know, the suggestion is that, see, we were right. You were wrong. Green's a terrible coach. And by extension, Benning built a good roster. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think he did. But, you know, that's <laughs> like for 24 games this season, it seemed pretty clear that this roster was not nearly good enough. Or was it? Or was it the coach that did such a poor job with a really good roster? That's the thing. That's the thing. So people are now saying, but look, I mean, we'll see. Let's 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 see how this plays out. But if they keep going, I mean, that may be, you know, I may have to look at it and, and sort of change my mind. I mean, the thing I've always thought that Green did really well was be super disciplined about matchups. And he never really had the roster to do much more than protect himself as opposed to go on the offensive with it. I thought he was, I think he's one of the most disciplined matchup coaches I've ever seen. Uh, and I like that. Like the main thing that I care about in evaluating coaching is are the right guys on the ice at the right time. Um, and I'm not a very, you know, I'm not a very detailed hockey guy in terms of being able to immediately see differences in systems and what have you. And most media people aren't and most fans aren't, right? No, me neither. Um, and so, you know, I mean, is there a chance that Green was the problem? Sure. Sure. There, there, I mean, there is. But I, I suspect that as the as time plays out here, as as Green gets another job, as as Boudreaux and the Canucks lapse over the course of the season, like I I do think the flaws on this in this lineup are going to be like we're going to see those seams again. We are we are going to see those seams again. I think, but who cares? Right now, it's just about how far they can push this run and what that changes in terms of how Jim Rutherford uh, sort of approaches. His maybe not his first month on the job, but certainly his second, third, and fourth leading up to the March 21st deadline. Like that to me is what's interesting now. Um, you know, one thing I liked about the Boudreaux hire, right, was that he was the polar opposite. And I think you give yourself a chance at getting that bump when you bring in a guy that players like. Like it's really important. You can't bring in a guy, you can't bring in the taskmaster head coach in season and get the bump. Right. He might even change your form. He might even do a great job. Like I think Daryl Sutter did in Calgary last year. They immediately became an elite team by the underlying numbers, but they didn't get the bump in terms of results that they were looking for. And that's because taskmaster coaching changes in season don't give you the bump. You need to bring in a guy players like Boudreaux like the archetype, like the most successful version of that type of coach from the last decade. So I liked that change a lot. Because I thought it had a chance to do something like this, maybe. And look, it's played out to the 99th percentile of what you'd have hoped for. And, you know, let's see. Like, let's see how far they can take it. And then we'll and then we'll get back to... Because, like, are you prepared to say you had it wrong? No, not yet. I mean, I'm not prepared to say I had it wrong until I see, until I see Green struggle with the next team. Well, yeah, right? for sure. I think I think so. We can so, from my perspective, yeah, me too. We, we've said we've said before <laughs> we've said before that 
a, you know, both things can be true, right? Like you can be a good coach, but at some point you've lost the team. And whether you've lost the team because of something you did, or as I profess, you lost the team because it's an immature group, right? Um, nonetheless, like we do understand that coaches get fired. We do understand that teams make change, that we do understand that different voices are needed, right? I mean, that that just happens. Um, totally. So, like I said, I mean, I think both things can be true. And I'm not sitting here trying to necessarily defend my opinion or our opinion or what have you. Like, you know, one of the things that Travis Green was good at, which was highlighted in the bubble, you talk about matchups, I talk about adjustments, right? And I think he has the, you know, a real good ability to kind of understand the flow of a game and adjust accordingly based on his own lineup and what's not happening in front of him. Now, sometimes you simply can't adjust if you don't have the pieces to adjust to. If you don't skate well enough, there's different types of adjustments that you could be making, but ultimately there's still limitations that come with that, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, look, Elaine Vigneault was a really good coach and he got fired from Vancouver. Why? Because ultimately the players said enough and they needed a different voice. Now, he did a lot of great things when they got to the final with a very good roster. And then he took the Rangers to the final. And then he had, you know, he had some success with Philadelphia, but ultimately that didn't work. And now he's lost that job, right? So these things wind up happening. That did he have coaches- success in Philadelphia? Well, I, okay, I would say no. Didn't have as much. But they also <laughs> had some huge goaltending issues like Philadelphia on always sure. does and and uh, and things of that nature. But he's had success and he's been able to turn things around. So it, it just depends, you know, where, you know, you, you ultimately have got to judge it over time. I mean, in the case of Bruce Boudreaux, you talk about him being the prototype mid-season change guy. And I asked him that question in his first press conference that is there an art to that? Right, like not just coming in, but coming in midstream. So we understand that there's been an emotional change because he's not the taskmaster and he's not the the details grinder type coach that maybe Travis was. And Travis, I don't think would necessarily be put in the torts keen and taskmaster uh, no, category, but but just in terms of of detail and teaching, he was that kind of coach. So yeah, more more the see- more the DeBoer more the DeBoer type coach. So, so as you, as you, for sure. So as you see what you're seeing on the ice in terms of not how the players are playing, but how they've been deployed both strategically and structurally, what are you seeing? Like, you know, you look at the lines, right? And how the lines have been assembled with this group and you look at the style they're trying to implement. What are you seeing as the biggest differences over these last six games? I mean, the rush, the rush chances are, Absolutely number one for me, five on five anyway. Um, four or against? Both, both, but mostly four. Um, yeah, I mean, both. <laughs> like, uh, you can see that the Canucks are surrendering more chances and generating a lot more chances, but it's come at the, like, it's, it's benefited the team overall. They've loosened up a little bit. They're playing more aggressive in terms of defenseman pitch, pinching. And in terms of the way that they're activating on the rush, I think they're blowing the zone a little bit more aggressively. We're seeing them try and outnumber uh, teams in the neutral zone a little bit more. And I think that's working for them because they have Thatcher Demko and they have better finishers than most teams. So, you know, they're willing to trade chances a little bit and it's tended to work out in their favor. So, I, I mean, those would be the those would be the. Two biggest changes, five on five on the PK down ice pressure, but we haven't seen the PK much. They haven't been taking penalties. So, you know, they haven't really like we haven't seen the PK play really uh, any extended stretch in what? Like we've seen, did they only kill one penalty yesterday? 
So we've seen them yep, play yep, four minutes. Yeah, we're not minutes. seeing much of it at all. Yeah, we've only seen them kill four minutes, four on five, since Boston, since the Boston game. So we'll see We'll see how that evolves. But yeah, the down ice pressure on the PK would be the other sort of major change. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, buddy, let's talk a little bit about the lines. And, you know, we're still seeing uh, Pedersen spending time with Pod Colson and Garland. Uh, Dickinson, you talked about him being effective on the wing in a matchup role, but he was sitting there at the fourth line center in this last game. And you know, ultimately, that's what they brought him in for with Dowling and Chase on, uh, two guys who got very little ice time. Um, just what's your take on how the lineup is constructed right now? Because, you know, when you look at the the Horvat line, you know, with Mott and Hoaglander, I know there's, you know, that gets some movement from time to time. Obviously, Miller, Pearson, and Besser is working really well right now, and they're being deployed as a first line. I think it's all worked. Like, it's hard to argue with anything or quibble with anything when it's worked this well. I like Dickinson as a tough minutes guy. I, I like that a lot. I like Hoaglander, actually, as a tough minutes guy, too. Um, you know, I, I think that's been that's been solid. You know, we're, we're, we are seeing the JT Miller line play top line minutes, which is a, an interesting one. And that line was plus three, five on five, like three goals, four, zero against uh, against San Jose, right? The the Horvat line was neutral, five on five, and the Pedersen line was minus one. But like that JT Miller, Besser, Pearson line seems to be doing really well, really well. And yeah, I mean, so, I look at that line, I look at that line, and I think Pearson is finding himself in the perfect role with two goal scorers. And not that he's a setup guy, but he can do a lot of dirty work, right? Yeah, he can. Whereas you, whereas you put him with Horvat and whoever, right? Um, and sometimes it was Garland who occasionally can play, you know, a bit of an individual game in terms of how he creates. And when Horvat's not going, Pearson's a little bit lost. Whereas here, you know, he's been able to get Besser going a little bit. And Miller, even when he's not playing well, still winds up producing. I think Pearson's found himself in the perfect spot. Not that he's a first-line player, quote-unquote, but his game fits with theirs. Horvat yeah. still seems to wind up producing right now. I mean, he's producing at a high clip, even though, you know, you you, you don't necessarily look at, at Tyler Maud as a guy that necessarily would bring out the best in a Bo Horvat and Hoaglander, I think is, you know, I, I don't know that I've seen him be as dynamic as I've seen him be, you know, at other points when the club hasn't been as successful, but overall, I, I think it's, I think it's worked. Well, there's no question it's worked. You can't argue with these results. Like you can't, <laughs> there's nothing, no. there's nothing to say about it. Right. Like, I mean, the fact is, is that that Miller Besser Pearson line, like what I like about it is the way that they, grind away on the wall like you're seeing Besser the one thing you are seeing from Besser I think that you weren't earlier in the year is some of that 
um, some of that puck winning along the wall. And, and I do think that that's just him putting the, putting further space between him and the injury that he sustained before the regular season. You know, he, he, he talked about when I, when I spoke with him in Pittsburgh, it was actually right before that brutal game against the Penguins that I think actually was the straw that broke the camel's back, even though the Boston game ended up being the one after which management and the coaching staff was fired. Like, I do think it was that Pittsburgh no-show and, you know, with JT Miller's non-comment. Like, I think that was the game that really sort of ushered in or convinced Canucks ownership that a change needed to happen. But coming back to Besser, you know, he was talking about how because his skating wasn't quite where he wanted it to be, he was getting to battles late and he was just not quite winning them, not quite helping to drive play the way he's used to. And I think with Pearson, Miller, and Besser, you're seeing a lot more down low... Um, down low control from that line. And then Miller is a good enough passer that he's, and, and Pearson yet last night was a good enough passer that they're finding ways to translate that into chances for Besser. And if you translate anything into chances for Besser, that like, that's a winning combo. That's going to, that's going to work. Like that's not the line that I see getting as many rush chances. That's the line that's sort of grinding away on teams down low. And that's something the Canucks haven't had. Like, when I think about early this season and the way they struggled to get to the front of the net, they looked soft, right? And right now with the way that line's playing, I think that the way they're grinding and keeping possession and keeping it down low and threatening with that, you know, it makes them look inevitable when it's on. Like they felt inevitable at parts of the game against San Jose. They felt inevitable, certainly in the latter stages of that Blue Jackets game. And I think it's that down low control that sort of gives that impression. It's, um, it's you know what it's fun to watch it's 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 nice to see and it's certainly a big weapon for this team right now. And the one thing for me that really stands out is as well as they're playing they're doing it without elite level contributions from Elias Pettersson. So he's sitting on a, a line right now with Pod Colson and Garland had an assist last night played uh, nineteen thirteen and um, you know look he's he's doing some good things he's certainly been somewhat better than he was prior to Boudreaux's arrival but where are you seeing? his game trend in terms of his on the puck play, you know, the, the, the moments that Canuck fans are used to seeing that, that dynamism, right? Like just that when he controls games, we're not necessarily seeing that. You can't say he's playing with bad players. Yeah. Pod Colson's a little bit younger, but Garland has been one of this team's most dynamic players this season. So where are you seeing his on puck play? Interesting. Last night, he was the Canucks best faceoff man winning 11 of 16 draws. Uh, which is something, you know, earlier in his career, Miller would take a lot of the key draws. Now he's having to take them all when he's out there. What are you seeing there? Because if all of a sudden he can give us 10 to 15 more percent in his game, now the Canucks, you know, you talk about cooking with oil or cooking with more than that. Yeah, well, 10 to 15 percent, though, that's a big jump, right? Like 10 to 15, an extra 10 to 15 percent in performance, like that's a whole new person, right? So, well, I or mean, it's the person that he was before. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I guess it doesn't feel like quite as big an ask because we've seen it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been moments. There's been moments where it's looked really good. There's been moments where it's like, I didn't think he was very strong against the Sharks. I just didn't think there was a lot going on there. Um, so, you know, uh, I remain deeply unconcerned about Elias Pettersson as a very, very good NHL player. I think the longer this goes without him regularly taking over games, though, I become much more concerned about his ability to be a franchise player. And we'll sort of see where that lands. Like, I think he's a very good player, but 
you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see him take over games on a consistent basis the way he did in, you know, when he was 21, when, when he was 20. And it's been a long time now. Like, it's been a long time. So, you know, for now, I'm, I'm I, you know, he's, he's a really good, really useful, really dangerous, probable top of the lineup quality player. But is there more than that? Is there that extra FU spine of steel stuff that, uh, that I thought there might be in his first two seasons uh, that I think Canucks fans thought there might be, um, you know, I, I'm almost not going to like get into what I'm seeing or, or look for signs that it's back when it's back. We'll know, you know, when it's back, it'll be like, Oh, right. Oh yeah. And, and I don't think it's there yet. Certainly. Two goals, two assists in his last five. Um, is he playing with the right players to bring it out? Because the rest of the lineup's looking good. So there comes a time where you need to put him in the greatest position to succeed, but this is not that time, right? I mean, the, the team is the team is playing well. The lineup for the other lines is working really well. So do you tinker with it to get more out of him at the expense of other things? You know, for me, I, I would say no, but will we get the most out of him until they tinker a little bit that way? Um, maybe you're not going to go about changing things up when it's working for everyone else, right? Like it's on, and it's not like he's playing with dud players like Garland and Garland's a top line caliber producer and, you know, Pod Colson's deeply impressive. So, you know, I'm not, I don't think, I think that's an out and you're giving him an excuse. Like that's the, he's not playing with, you know, fourth liners, Dude, you know me. I, I I don't give him excuses. I'm just throwing it out as a, <laughs> We've as switched a possible roles today. theory. We've switched yeah, roles. I am, I am not. I never give Elias Pettersson excuses. I, I think there's just too much there so that when we're not seeing it, I jump on it. And yeah, I know he's a young player and all of that, but the team's playing well. He's He's been better. But, you know, and that's why I ask about his on the puck play because that's what I'm missing. That's what I'm craving. And I, I'm just not yeah. seeing it. His finish has gotten a little bit better, right? Um, his confidence has increased a little bit, you know, but I, I just... I want to see the you know, energy. And I'm wondering if I want to see I, yeah. the I want to see the swagger. Like it's it's what he what he for me what he's missing is there's there's nothing I can get into in terms of his game that he's missing beyond just that like it's that imperious it's that imperiousness. It's that I'm the smartest guy on the ice thing. Like it's this it's those like alpha moments, those like f you sort of moments that he that when he was on a couple years back, like he had them all the time and it was enthralling. And, and, you know, we're seeing moments where he does incredible things. Like he's still an incredibly skilled player. The ceiling is limitless, but we're not seeing that side of it, that energy on a consistent basis. And that's, that's sort of what I'm waiting for. And uh, until I see it, until I see it and see it consistently, I'm not going to sort of pretend that I know it's coming because he's done some cool things with the puck. He's always going to do some cool things with the puck. He's Elias Pettersson. He's a wizard. There was a time in well, we but we need to see more wizard, right? And there was a time in that second year where people put, you know, the name Gretzky next to Pedersen, and I say that not because anybody ever thought he was going to be or is nearly as good, but just because for me, you know, when I said it, I just felt he was attempting to see the game differently. Right. Right. And that was Gretzky's biggest strength is that, you know, it it wasn't his skating. It wasn't his shot. It was just his ability to see the game at a completely different level than the rest of the planet. 
And while I, I certainly never thought Pedersen was seeing it better than anybody in the league, we just kind of saw an attempt to see the game differently and the confidence to act upon what he was seeing that others generally weren't, right? And and so that's the piece for me. It's just, you know, you're going to try to beat a player a certain way. You're going to try to attempt to pass a certain way that generally is outside the box thinking that people don't necessarily do. And that's the that was the alien wizard Ness of him, right? And so I just want to see him. You talk about swagger, and maybe that's just the best way to say it is just to have that confidence to to attempt that shit. And we just don't see that right now, right? I mean, we see it in small spurts. I just want to see it in in larger quantities because um, if you can add that to what this team is doing, it's going to mask a whole other level of flaws, and then this thing does become sustainable <laughs> with their with their back end. Um, well, let's for, forget the back end specifically. The the Team's response to COVID on the ice. You know, I asked Brock Besser about it after the game, you know, and I referenced the fact that a few weeks ago, this team was labeled fragile, not by us, but by their GM at the time. And and he wasn't wrong. And if you would have put this situation onto that team, you know, two to three weeks ago, the reaction might have been entirely different. Whereas right now it's, hey, we don't want to do the morning skate, you know, and now we come on the ice and we focus on that. And, oh, we lost a player in game. Oh, and then we lost, you know, another defenseman, not to COVID, but, you know, early in the game in the last one. And, yeah, we're just going to roll. Like, you know, the club's response on the ice to a difficult situation. How surprising is it? Uh, I think, I mean, I'm, I've been impressed mostly. Don't you think? Mostly. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how you're not. I don't know how you're not impressed. And they've avoided the big punch, right? Because yep. you you know you've had you've had four people of which three were players, and for the most part they were bottom of the lineup players. And now two of them, you know, one coach and one player, are likely going to be back tomorrow, right? Uh, because of the negative tests around Pullman and uh, and Jason King. But mm-hmm. um, you know, sorry, and, and sorry, what do you mean no, the negative tests? Well, they uh, they tested negative, right? Uh, so they talk- were false Boudreaux- positives. Yeah, Boudreaux talked about that yesterday. So Pullman has turned turned returned two negative tests since his positive. So one more okay. negative, and he's back playing. And King has two. If he's got two more negatives, which is yesterday and today, uh, he could then potentially be on the bench tomorrow, right? I mean, and if he's not for one more game, you know, not as big a deal with with a player versus coach. So right now, you've only got two players that are still dealing with it in Lamico and and Shen. Um, and there's been no new positives. Now that could change, but nonetheless, if you're the Canucks, you don't view it in terms of numbers relative to other teams. You just view it as comparing to last year and just what a disaster that was. And it'd be easy to go into those kinds of thoughts. And I think they've shown some mental toughness to not be impacted. The the Pullman negative thing makes sense too, because they had their rapid test round and then it was the second test that flagged him. And rapid tests don't typically, like you might get, a positive that's not confirmed, but you're not going to get a false negative, typically speaking, out of a rapid test. So that makes sense, actually, that he would be a false positive, And that's great news because of the amount of time that he spent in an unmasked on ice athletic environment with his teammates. Right. Like then then the fact that there's no further spread starts to make a lot more sense. If, if Pullman had actually been positive, if it hadn't been a false positive, you would have expected more spread within the team. So. That to me is like a big mystery solved. And, you know, the thing that I'm most impressed with, honestly, Farhan, is the way that they scrub morning skate before they knew, right? Because they would have skated with Brad Hunt if they'd gone on and then you would have had further spread, right? And that just goes to show you like how thin the margins can be 
when dealing with this virus in this environment, right? In, in an environment where on ice, uh, <laughs> unmasked athletic competition is like the most dangerous setting you can be in for viral spread and, and dangerous. I mean, dangerous in terms of taking down a lot of players for 10 days with positives. Like these guys are not, you know, at this point because they're fully vaccinated because of their age, because they're not, you know, high risk. I don't think they're in any mortal danger from the virus or anything. This is not similar to last year, but you know, I, I do think the fact is, is that this can spread like wildfire. We've seen it with the flames and it's especially likely to spread in, you know, that on ice environment where the, you know, um, like aerosol droplets of your breath literally hang at about six and a half feet off the ice or like at mouth <laughs> level for skaters, right? It's disgusting. Like it's really, it's really a threatening environment for the spread, which is why I'm so concerned about the NHL as a whole as positives sort of um, continue to be found around the league. So yeah, I mean, more than anything, the, the fact that the players had the knowledge from last year and shut down that morning skate looks like it may have been a huge part of what prevented this from spreading. And they deserve a ton of credit for that. Like an absolute ton of credit for that. And we're seeing games get postponed around the league. We're seeing uh, limited fans in various buildings. So far, so good as far as the Canucks. We'll talk about that when the VanCast returns. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So by the time many people listen to this, transfer, there may be a change in terms of policy and what's happening as far as the provincial government's concerned. One o'clock Pacific time, there's going to be uh, an announcement on a number of issues. And do you expect attendance at Rogers Arena to be among them? <sighs> I mean, I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, one would expect it. I mean, if we're getting to a point where we're going to have travel advisories and limitations on amount of people that can gather in a household, you know, it would seem that 20,000 gathering for a hockey game would be a luxury we can't afford, right? If that, if the determination of health officials is you can, you can only have one or even two families in your home at any given moment, then how are we going to have a, a full stadium, you know, for hockey, right? Like it just that it, it, I struggle to understand that part. Um, that said, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really know. Like, I don't really know where we're going with this latest variant. I'm, uh, I don't really know what the right response is, to be totally honest with you. But we've seen now Montreal played in front of no fans. Toronto, Ottawa, they're going to play in front of half fans. BC has tended to be the most rigid of the markets in the NHL, right? Like this was the last market to allow 100% capacity. 
and, you know, has been the toughest for the NHL to negotiate and deal with throughout the pandemic, right? Um, so if, you know, just off that rule of thumb, just off that history in British Columbia, I sort of look at it and think if, yeah, if we're going to reduced uh, capacity in some places, I, I'd expect it'll happen here too. Yeah, we'll find out soon enough. I know Besser, I asked him about that as well. And just, they, they certainly don't want to go in that direction. It just, and not, you know, the fans are a big part of it. And, you know, they, he talked about feeding off that like everybody does, but just, you know, when you think about what they had to go through in terms of restrictions, right? All these players. And we don't want to give professional athletes any kind of slack because they're millionaires. So you're supposed to suck it up. And if you have to stay in your room at the hotel and you can't go out with the guys and you can't gather as a team and all those types of things, suck it up. You're millionaires. But it's just not a fair way to view life because they're still people, right? And, you know, just that level of isolation and restriction, I don't think anybody wants to go through that, especially when this group is feeling really good about itself. But hey, bigger things in life and and more important priorities. And if that's the decision the government makes, then we all go with it. And uh, hopefully it's at least half attendance so we can at least get that as opposed to the antiseptic environment where Drancer's just talking about JT Miller F-bombs every game. Hey? Yeah, I, I, I want nothing to do with that. I want, we could I get want, that. We could get that segment sponsored. That would be better help <laughs> right there. I want more environments, though, like the Columbus game, the third period of that Columbus game. Like that was great, and less environments like I've you know we we endured in the bubble, and then again you know through last season. Like I, that that holds zero appeal to me at this point. Um, you know, whatever. I mean, I like a lot of people. I think this is the. the this week has been tough because of the idea that this isn't over, but of course it's not. And, and we have to adjust, but it's a pain in the ass, Farhan. I'm not going to lie. Oh boy, it is. And just in time for Christmas and more importantly, just in time for the Leafs game on Saturday. So if there's any new policies, I would expect it to be implemented on Monday or maybe even <laughs> <laughs> this will go into effect on Sunday for the Coyotes game, but there you go. Cause it won't matter. Everyone yeah. come see the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, no question. And, or, or actually, better yet, if you are a Leaf fan, you'll be the half that gets eliminated. Right, perfect. So, are you allowed to cover it then? <laughs> Sorry, that was out loud. That was the quiet part out loud. Yeah, yeah no, hey, I, 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 I'll have to check. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some front office moves before we wrap this thing up. And Stan Schmeal. Now, you and I have both been been um, critical about how the club on many levels, treated Smeal, right? I mean, I've certainly said that it felt like he was being used as a prop, both next to Francesco Aquilini in that first press conference when the changes were made, and then when Chris Gear and Jonathan Wall got fired, an untitled Stan Smeal is the quote. Not yeah. the owner, but but Steamer's the quote. And, you know, certainly for me, I feel that this is a guy that has done everything asked of him by the organization, right? Including stepping into that mess, albeit for a very short time. So he's now the direct, the, sorry, the vice president of hockey operations, which is a nice title. Yeah. Um, what does it mean? Is any of it a reaction to, you know, just the general criticism that was taken? And, you know, wh what do we expect his role to be going forward? We know what the title is, but what will Stan yeah. do? Because he's done everything. Well, one thing that's interesting is that Rutherford's front office structure has always had an EVP of hockey operations. Like back in Pittsburgh, he was the EVP of hockey operations and general manager. So he had both titles. And Stan now takes one of those, like the title that he usually held down when he was the Penguins general manager, in addition to his GM responsibilities. And, 
you know, I think that Rutherford, the sense I get based on hearing Rutherford talk about hockey administration and about LTI and about IR, like, I think that professional part of the GM's job is something that, um, you know, he prizes and that, and that he tends to be really savvy on and, and work really hard on. Um, you know, I, I think more than anything, he needs bodies, like he needs bodies in, in roles, like he needs people to bounce ideas off of and brainstorm with and um, suggest things with. And so, you know, I don't have a sense yet of exactly what Smeal's role will include and what his portfolio will include. But certainly as he rebuilds this front office structure, like he just needs he needs brains around him. He needs people around him. He needs hockey people around him. And so Smeal, I'm sure, will will help fill that gap. And you know, I still don't love the way that it all went down, but I do understand it a little bit better now that we understand that Rutherford was ill um, and that and that really, if he hadn't been, Smeal wouldn't have been put in that spot. I think, you know, the fact that Smeal wasn't leveled with about how close they were to Rutherford still still sort of leaves a little bit of an odd taste in my mouth, especially with the way that Smeal calmed this fan base and launched this Boudreaux era. Um, but, you know, he gets a promotion out of it and... Uh, I mean, if he's okay with that, he's so it goes. Like you know, I, he, I was never, ultimately he's the only one that matters. Ultimately, he's the only one that matters. And I didn't. I look. I didn't love the way that it went down. I didn't, and that's fine. I think there's good reason for it. I mean, there was this moment in the presser where you know the the story was that Stan had originally suggested Bruce Boudreaux, and also the story was that Stan would have a hand in picking the next GM. And the GM was already done. Like it was already in hand. Um, I don't love that. I don't love that method of communicating. And I think it's in stark contrast with the type of honesty and frankness that Rutherford and Boudreaux have brought. And that has made such a positive first impression in their first week or two weeks in Boudreaux's case. Right. I mean, there's a reason that's such a relief from the new guys. And it's because it's not something the organization has typically done. Right. And not even on, on the Monday that Bruce was hired. And yeah. so, you know, that that's that's my basic sense of it. But look, if Stan's empowered in this new front office structure, if he's happy with how it's turned out, so be it. Yeah. And that's the hope. The hope is that he is, in fact, empowered. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, we, we talked about that speech that he made to the players and, you know, how they took notice. So I think this is also important for, for that end of it. Right. That he does have more influence theoretically and he talked in the press conference about not necessarily these words but he was excited to get off the sidelines right and be in the mix so I'm curious if this is going to be more than just being a sounding board for Jim Rutherford or there is a specific silo that he's going to oversee so to speak meanwhile the club also added Derek Clancy as an assistant general manager now look the, the biggest criticism that was taken here along with how Stan may have been treated was not that uh, you know, it, it, Francesco's tweet that we're upset about him um, making these sweeping changes and clearing the deck. It was because those two guys, Wall and Gear, had a specific role that was needed in the short term, right? right. In terms of managing the cap and, and doing all the gymnastics associated with that and that that wasn't necessarily Rutherford's area. And I'm not sure it's Derek Clancy's area either. No, it's not. Based on based on his track record. No, it's so, not. Clancy's well, a Weissbrod replacement. He's not a Gear and Wall replacement. So yeah, so what what is his skill set? Is he going to bring much to the organization? And is there still a hole in those areas regarding the cap? Well, there is. I mean, it's a hole that Rutherford's filling himself, right? Like Rutherford is in the nitty gritty. He's on the he's on the administrative side himself. And in terms of 
Clancy. Clancy's a player personnel guy, right? Like he was the director of player personnel in Pittsburgh. Rutherford promoted him from director of pro scouting. So he's a, and he was a pro scout with the Flames. So this is a guy who evaluates minor league talent and NHL talent. He was an ECHL player, a really successful one um, in his career. And he's been a longtime scout with who has an enormously successful track record in Pittsburgh, known to be a really hard worker. One of those guys who sees a lot of games live every year. Um, so that's again in the Weiss broad mold, right? His, his job's to find the good players. And that's, uh, that's going to be an important thing for Rutherford too. We know how Rutherford likes to be aggressive. We know how he likes to shuffle the decks. Um, you know, he, he needs a guy who knows the guys who knows the, who knows the throwing guys, right? Like who doesn't know just the, the point is not to know th- that Brad Marchand is good, right? The point is to like be able to identify the, the guy before he's the guy. And that's uh, that's Derek Clancy's skill set. Uh, I think he's pretty old school. I think he's pretty old school in his approach. Um, and, but, you know, certainly has had a tremendous amount of success in Pittsburgh and a, and a close working relationship with Rutherford. Um, and, you know, and he, he was available relatively quickly, which which I think is why he's been targeted and landed. Um, so Weisbrod is the guy whose portfolio is replaced first. I still would expect. Rutherford to prioritize bringing in like a head honcho type amateur guy, a head honcho type analytics guy, and a head honcho type um, like logistics guy uh, to fill out the AGM and, and senior director ranks, um, you know, before before we're through. Um, and that's assuming that Ryan Johnson, who who sort of lost the interim AGM title too in that announcement, right? Um, you know, provided that he sticks around. Yeah, I mean, what do you think is the best role for RJ? You know, I, I thought I thought uh, AGM with a player development portfolio made sense for him, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. But you know, we'll uh, we'll see which direction exactly this all goes in. When you hire veteran people or people of like mind, like Derek Clancy and and Jim Rutherford, um, does it make you assume that the GM is going to be younger, progressive, more on the analytics side, or do you think they're just going to they're going to create an echo chamber? Well, he's definitely looking for an analytics hire. Uh, I think Rutherford's certainly a guy who's valued having that within an organization, but I don't think he's ever been an analytics-driven decision maker. I think it's been a you know part of a process as opposed to you know a, a really big part of the process. So you know, I, I think it's a little premature for me to speculate on the shape of that exactly, but uh, but you know, I. I Look, they're they're going to bring in an, another analytics guy. I, I'd expect. Um, yeah, but as the GM is my question. Like, what type of GM oh, are they going to be looking for? Yeah, I'm, I mean, my guess is like, I, I mean, my sense is that it's either going to be one an, an amateur guy, or it's going to be a manager, or it's going to be a hockey administration and logistics guy who's like a key negotiator and, and capologist. And I think that's the route to go down. But I, I suspect that the guys that have typically filled those types of roles for Rutherford over the years, um, you know, I, I suspect those guys aren't available in season, right? I mean, that would sort of match the description of a Botterill or, or maybe a Carmanos, but, but you know, I, those guys are current AGMs. So if he's going to land a GM in season, I'd expect them to be more a guy with an amateur portfolio and, and some of the names that are being bandied about. Um, in public, not not by Rutherford. This is not me reporting anything. This is me summarizing the chatter. Um, Patrick Alvin and Mark Hunter would seem to have a similar portfolio on the amateur side as opposed to sort of the deeper, 
like hockey operations portfolio that, um, that, you know, my guess is, I mean, if you're structuring a front office, don't you want the guy who's doing the big picture stuff to be the GM? And maybe you have an AGM who's like a pro guy with an administrative oversight on the amateur side in Clancy, another AGM who does, you know, the, the amateur side, like that to me makes more sense, but I don't know that that's necessarily how it'll play out based on, you know, the need to rebuild this front office group basically from scratch. Yeah, no, they're, they're, I'm just curious. And again, you're right. They could probably fill out the pieces. It becomes an awkward situation because you want the GM to have a hand in filling out those pieces. But given the fact that that might be a highly qualified person that no one's willing to part with until the offseason, it may wind up being the last piece that gets added. That, yeah, that's and that's sort of what I'm curious to see. I think I think if they hire a GM quickly, right, it's probably not going to be one of the key Rutherford lieutenants that, that, you know, are so often speculated about um, just because of the nature of, of doing so. If he's dead set on bringing one of those guys, then I think the GM search will conclude in the offseason. So it's going to be an interesting thing to watch for as Rutherford continues to assemble his front office. And with that, uh, we're going to watch the Canucks try to extend their six-game winning streak against Drancer's favorite team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, on Saturday. First of a back-to-back Arizona the following day, and we will have all of that for you. We'll recap it on Monday as we head into Christmas week. Rejoice, Canuck fans. They're a game away from 500, a six-game winning streak for your Vancouver Canucks. Meanwhile... Uh, Max Boltman and Corey Pronman have the Prospect Series on the Athletic Show on Friday. The boys preview the U.S. and Canadian rosters ahead of the World Juniors, which begin on December 26th in Edmonton. The Athletic Hockey Show with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian recaps a busy weekend in the NHL on Monday at the Athletic. And as for our listeners, the VIPs, we thank you for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. You can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all that bonus content from our entire network. Start with a free 30-day trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash thevancast. Drancer, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Paul Maurice, who walks away after pushing the rock up the mountain. Going to be interesting to see what Winnipeg does to replace him. Uh, Paul Maurice, I thought, did a really good job there overall. Uh, I mean, I, I really I think, did. I think so too. You know what? And and I love it when a coach gets to step away on his own because we see very little of that regardless of so the sport. Did, so, did the, so does the rest of the media, Farhan. My goodness. Paul Maurice, yeah. Paul Maurice being covered like, <laughs> like a hero. Yeah, hey. You know what? It's uh, it's like I said. It's not often you get to come out of it with that kind of narrative. Obviously, with the career he's had, uh, Maurice has made a lot of friends. He's not afraid to um, to be candid and say how he feels. And you know, you get to a stage in your career where you can just do that, and not have to worry about it. And he did. And now the ultimate move, he decides to step away. Says his team needs a new voice. He needs to do a few different things. So good for him. We hope he enjoys retirement, if in fact that's what it becomes but uh listen my friend i hope you enjoy the weekend i'll see you at the rink on saturday and we'll talk and do this again on monday i'd be well man